And then this guy, you know, going through this ordeal and then boasting and creating a story that sounds much more uh, amusing and, and courageous and whatnot. I don't know. that It's interesting how adding more layers to this story kind of forms this, what we now perceive as a monster, a giant mosquito, and are talking about. Right. Even though it was probably just a hot coal. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bug and a Rug podcast. As always, my name is Caitlin, and today I have a very special guest with me. Hello, guys. <laughs> uh, and today is my New Year episode, and we are bringing you another story that may or may not keep you up at night. Hopefully, by the end of it, we will also be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug. But only time will tell. And before we get started with the story... I was going to hand the microphone over to my guest if they would like to discuss their own podcast. Oh, I certainly, you'll, you'll just have to mail me the mic and it needs to travel half the world over. (laughs) And since I'm using my computer, I'll have to mail you my whole computer. So we'll see how that goes. And for the listeners, I am in Bosnia in Europe. So that's the point of the joke. But yeah, yeah, my my name is Vuk, uh, V-U-K, very simply uh, spelled. And I host a podcast named Tracing Owls. Uh, I actually had Caitlin on, I think, back in March on my show, where we talked about cryptids, we talked about animal attacks, and some uh, haunted, spooky stories from your uh, part of the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the episode is now called Wampus Cat Hijinks. I, I changed yeah. the name of the episode quite a number of times. Because there was a Wampus Cat attack, uh, which was just my cats attacking each other. Uh-huh. But I only have one cat now because I moved. So hopefully there won't be any issues this time. But I can't promise anything. Yes, yes. I, I actually... I do, I still do that sometimes, but I used to like when there are some kind of audio issues or we we break the recording or something happens. I insert those funny little bits, like ju- just like I did with you, a poem of a wampus cat attacking you. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. It's a good way to cover. So basically. I thought that for the new year, we would have a cryptid. We're going back to the roots. You know, our my podcast, Bug and Rug, started with cryptids. Um, so we're going to have a new year, new cryptid. And since you are basically an expert, I figured that I could have <laughs> you kind of lead the charge into the new year with me for said cryptid. Okay, and an expert in what? In cryptids or... <laughs> Um, I think researching cryptids, researching uh, how cryptids might not be real, how they could be real, where they came from, you know, just the whole thing. Yes, yes. And for the listeners, yes, my show named Tracing Owls is cryptid adjacent, but I also cover the paranormal, UFOs, aliens, all that stuff. But from a more skeptical perspective... That's not a debunking perspective. Rather, I focus on the sociology, the culture of it, and try to tie it in with nature and ecology. Because like Caitlin, I am also a biology major. Yes. So you try to see it from the side that I don't necessarily see it from. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And that's because you're a a biology major and you're a zookeeper. Yes, which we've talked about before on your episode. And I think that I know that there are probably good explanations for everything, like all cryptid related. But also, it's just not as much fun if they don't actually exist in my head. Yes, yes. That's why I kind of shifted from a biology focus to a more sociology focus. I used to do a biology-focused comedy show, Darwin's Deviations. Um, But the more I went into these paranormal cryptid topics, the more I was 
starting to realize like this has no basis in biology like these are not biological things obviously right but what are they why why are they uh existing within you know a cultural consciousness for centuries and why are we still talking about them why are we still selling merch of them uh, that's the stuff i tackle on my show like you're maybe gonna put this out on uh, new year's uh, but um, close to it. Okay. On the 31st of December, uh, I am putting out a round table on the Hopkinsville goblins. Oh, okay. Yeah. But unlike uh, other podcasts, which just, you know, cover the case over and over again, or read Wikipedia, I do none of that. I don't care about the case at all. But what, what I did is bring uh, three guests on the round table who are all artists and we just talked about what the goblins mean to them and how they utilize the goblins in their arts. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like a whole different perspective of what the story could be. Yes. If we talk to other people, which that's, I mean, that's why I like the stuff that you're, you, you know, you put out because it's just a different take on it rather than what everybody else, including myself. I know I, I, I just talk <laughs> about the story sometimes and that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah, fine I, too. I, I realize like everybody wants truth seeking. Everybody wants to talk about, Oh, what, what is a real or not? But I'm like, who cares? We already have it as a folkloric thing. So how are we using it now? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's now it's not important if the goblins actually happened in 1955 or not, but rather <laughs> why have they become such an all encompassing presence in the right. public consciousness? They even spawned the, the term little green men and stuff like that. So why right. are we still what talking about these things? Had. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So if any of my listeners would like to listen to that, you know, now you know where to find it. <laughs> um, so today we are going to be talking about a cryptid, like I said, but before that, we're going to talk a little bit about just um, mosquitoes, I guess, in general is what I have first. And I have to say that I told you the story. So I'll tell our listeners very briefly that when I watched Jumanji for the first time at a friend's house and the scene where the mosquitoes come out happened, I cried so hard that my mom had to come pick me up and I could not watch it for like probably years after that. But I realized there was another thing that I, a book, I guess, that I read when I was younger that I think has given me the heebie-jeebies about mosquitoes and insects and what have you. And that book is called The Homing by John Saul. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, but um, can you tell us what it's about? Yes. So it is basically, now I read this a long time ago. My grandpa gave me this book. I don't know why. Um, it's basically about a man who is a serial killer. And what he does is he kidnaps victims and he will put them in his basement and then he will basically feed them to different bugs so i think one girl gets like eaten by ants or something and at the same time happening like simultaneously there is this girl whose family has moved into the area from like los angeles and they're moving to like middle of nowhere texas or something like that and she gets stung by a bee and then is slowly transforming into a queen be human hybrid mm -hmm. and it's about like solving the serial killer case and then trying to figure out what's happening with her and i don't quite remember how it gets resolved i think i've blocked that out of my memory but that is one book that i have read and that i've never forgotten and i think that uh subconsciously it has affected my feelings towards uh insects <laughs> Which is funny because your whole podcast is named Bug in a Rug. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about this too. While I was thinking about that book, I was like, I don't know. I don't know why. I I like the idea of bugs and I work with bugs at the zoo and I can get over it. I don't have a giant fear of them, but I don't necessarily like them. On and how, how do you work with them? Like when you're using them to feed the bigger animals? Uh, yes, which that doesn't bother me as much because that's just like worms and stuff. We have like um, giant millipedes and we have hissing cockroaches. 
that we use for education programs. And I started out in education at the zoo. So we'll have to like hold them and teach kids about them and things like that. So I always tell people like, I don't mind bugs if I know where they are at all times. (laughs) Well, I mean, if it's a giant bug, then certainly you'll know where it is. Right. It's the small ones that are scary. (laughs) Right. That's very true. Um, that is very true. I also um, want to tell your listeners like how I, I found out about your podcast is yeah, I go mean, for it. Obviously, I'm a biologist. So even before I started my biology podcast, I was looking for other biology podcasts to kind of compare. And then I find your podcast bug in a rug and it had the the old logo. If anybody can remember, you had some yeah. bu- bugs and you had that a green slime like Goosebumps books. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I love this. I'm going to save it for later. And then I check out your podcast like half a year later and it has nothing to do with bugs. <laughs> nope. Disappointingly, it has. I think this might be one of the first stories that includes. Uh, no, my sister did one about spiders once, I think. Which I think that's the closest we've gotten to uh, actual uh, an insect story mm-hmm. um, that I can think of. So. So you're this you have inspired me <laughs> to actually make the name come true. Oh yeah, and our, we're certainly making it true now. Yeah. So um mosquitoes for those who don't know, that's what we're going to be talking about today. They're members of almost 3,600 species of small flies within the family and although I'm a biology major, I will pronounce all these words wrong, but it's Culicidae. C-U-L-I-C-I-D-A-E, uh, I believe. Culicidae, uh, something like that. Yeah, okay. This is another reason I brought you on. You can just pronounce everything. <laughs> I'd love if I actually researched into this <laughs> beforehand. Oh, this part doesn't matter. It's just, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows what mosquitoes are, but if you don't, it's just a light description of them. So they have slender, segmented bodies with one pair of wings, one pair of halters which are um oh my gosh i looked this up they're like in the body some type of organ i believe they have three pairs of long hair-like legs and then elongated mouth parts Um, they use these mouth parts to pierce the skin of a host and feed on blood in order to gain protein and iron however only females usually do that the females need the blood the protein and iron in the blood to gain like nutrients for their eggs. So males will use these mouth parts, I think just to drink like nectar for the most part. Yes. And also females do it as well. So both males and females actually feed on uh, nectar or other plant fluids, but the female only drinks blood when she needs her ovaries to mature. So it's not necessarily for feeding. It's actually just a necessary uh, part of uh, her sexual maturity. Right, like the reproduction reproduction yes. part of it. When we think of mosquitoes, I think a lot of people get nervous because, you know, they transmit diseases. But from my research, I found that there is like less than 3% that are actually known to transmit diseases. So like 90 species out of the 3,600. And these species are called vectors, the ones that can like transmit diseases. And they are made up mostly of the genre Aedes and Nopheles and Culex. Again, my pronunciation could be wrong. So basically, I guess the point of that is they, I feel like get a bad connotation, even though most of them are probably not going to hurt us. Yeah, I also wanted to, I don't know, I, I thought we we're going to talk about this at the end, but sure, let's talk about it now. So uh, mosquitoes are allegedly the most dangerous animal on the planet to humans, uh, apart from other humans. <laughs> right. Right. They kill about 1 million people a year from uh, these mosquito-borne diseases. But the thing is, diseases such as malaria are only transmitted by mosquitoes, but are caused by another animal, Plasmodium. Uh, The Plasmodium that causes malaria is an immobile type of protozoan 
So it's a single-celled animal, basically, but because it's single-celled, we don't necessarily think of it as an animal. So we say, oh, the mosquito is the bad one. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. So, so mosquitoes technically, <laughs> mosquitoes don't kill that many people, but rather the animals that they carry with themselves. Cells do, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I mean, we could still blame mosquitoes a little bit, I guess. <laughs> So also, did you find what is the largest uh, uh, species of mosquito in the world? I think this is very funny. Its Latin name is, oh man, Toxorhynchitis speciosus, and it is the Australian elephant mosquito, which grows up to 1.3 inches, which is not much. No, yeah. Yeah, I have um, one, the the large ones that are in the United States and they're only about half an inch as well. And I was like, Oh, that's really not as big as I thought it was going to be, <laughs> but that's okay. What, what mosquito, can you say the name again for that mosquito? Uh, the Latin name or the common name? The common name, the common name is fine. The Australian elephant mosquito. Elephant mosquito. It sounds like it would be a lot bigger, I guess, with a name like that. But... Also, you think it uh, drinks the blood of elephants, but there are no elephants in Australia. So, <laughs> so the, it's just the name for the size, I yes, guess? Yes, <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I mean, I've never discovered an animal, so I guess I can't... I don't know what I would name it if I saw one, so... I don't yeah. Know. So in the United States... The word galley nipper commonly refers to giant mosquitoes with the scientific name, oh man, Sorophora silita. Uh, I'm not sure how to it's, pronounce it's it. It's pronounced ciliata. Ciliata, thank you. Um, so these insects are indigenous to the United States east of the Continental Divide. So, like, Texas, Oklahoma, over to the East Coast-ish. They're infamous for being half an inch to an inch long, but they're also known for their aggressive behavior towards humans, animals, and other insects. So I think these are the ones that I read that their larvae, when are young, will actually eat other animals like tadpoles and like other eggs and things like that. Um, so this, these came into the public eye after tropical storm Debbie flooded, flooded Florida in 2012 because eggs that had remained dormant for years suddenly reanimated with the flood water. Um, the insects hatched in unusually high numbers and they basically were terrible for those in the area. And then a similar instance happened in North Carolina after Hurricane Florence in 2018. The mosquito problem got so bad that the state's governor ordered $4 million in relief funds just to combat, like, these pests, like, specifically. Which, this kind of reminded me of, we have um, cicadas here mm -hmm. that come out, like, every seven years or something like that. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I yes, was like, yes. I don't know if you have that same issue at all. We we don't have cicadas here, but I know that cicadas are notorious for their larval stages to take so many years to mature. And then they come out, they, they shed their exoskeleton they made, and then they die. Yeah, they're pretty gross. Although working at the zoo, the animals love to eat them. So... It's kind of good and bad for me because, again, I don't really care for insects, but it is fun to watch all the animals chase them around and eat them. So Yeah, I mean, you get your revenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I just use the animals. <laughs> so the word galley nipper is a title given to these specific mosquitoes, but it has not been officially approved by the Entomological Society of America uh, Merriam-Webster defines galley nipper as, quote, any of various insects such as large, a large mosquito or crane fly, and it is thought to have first been used in the early 1700s, I guess, is what I found, although that could be wrong. Yeah, I found that it originates from the word gallon, so galley nipper would be uh, something that can drink a gallon of blood. Which is terrifying. So instead of calling vampires vampires, 
We should call them galley nippers. Huh, interesting. Just saying. They could drink probably. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the stories behind, would we call, stories behind vampires. But. Would we call southern vampires galley nippers? Yes. Yeah, there we go. So this is the part I have. Um, there are a lot of different stories of galley nippers from various cultures, I guess. Um, so in the African-American folk tradition, galley nipper were said, galley nippers, I guess, is it an S would be the plural? Yes. Galley nippers were said to be mosquito-like creatures so big that their bones could fence a 140-acre field. I mean, I can cut this part out. I didn't write anything else about this part Mm -hmm. that you sent to me, but we can mention the other stuff. I just don't have it written down, so I will have to look it up again. Well, we don't need to cut anything out, but like listeners, if you want to look at the Wikipedia page for galley nipper mythology... Uh, don't look at the references because every single title is very racist from over a century. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's all I have on it. Now, you know what, what I thought about, uh, so how this, uh, this version of the galley nipper is tied to the African American, uh, uh, population. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Snallygaster and how the Snallygaster was used in a very racist way. And I know the style oh. guest is something you talk about constantly. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Because uh, from what you said, like this version of the galley nepper is giant. Right. <laughs> and it, I mean, even the style gaster, the mythology of it is, is it's so giant and it's going to come after people. So it, right, was, right, it right. was used to terrorize uh, people from, other races unfortunately interesting yeah Yeah. i didn't even think about that the snail i I guess when i was thinking about this i did not think of giant pterodactyl (laughs) dragon (laughs) didn't didn't cross my mind but that is an interesting comparison yeah so that's all i have on that but there is a famous galley nipper called that i even listened to somebody pronounce this i did too and i can't remember yeah, Aversboro galley nipper, or, or is it Aversboro, Aver, or something like that? Aversboro. Uh, yeah, could be either or. Um, I'm but, not but sure. The person I listened to, it sounded right, but I don't know if they knew either. So you know what's interesting? I think that town is now a ghost town. It's totally abandoned. It, so it n- is. nobody, nobody will. Nobody knows. Nobody yeah. will know. <laughs> It's just written down on paper now. There's no, there's nobody to say it. Um, but this galley nipper in this town is from North Carolina. So the swamps of North Carolina. Now, there are various stories from this region um, of, I guess, this area of North Carolina about giant mosquitoes or um, a giant yellow jacket so I just did them in order of um, like which one came first, which would be the yellow jacket. The Carolina Cherokee had stories about a giant yellow jacket wasp called the, and it's U-L-A-G-U. Ulagu. Ulagu. This creature was said to be as large as a house and had the ability to swoop down and pick up children to carry back to its lair or nest. Now the famous story surrounding it. And the only one that I could really find is how they were trying to find its lair and I guess kill it or defeat it. Long story short, they were trying to lure this giant yellow jacket to take like food that was, I guess, tied to a string so they could follow it and see where it had gone. So they tried to put out a squirrel and then they tried to put out a turkey and they tried to put out a ham, (laughs) but the yellow jacket was so fast that it would just fly in and take these and then fly back and they couldn't follow it. So they finally put a deer, like a full deer out, and this was heavy enough that it slowed the Ulagu down enough that they could, I guess, track it to where it had taken the deer. They followed this wasp to a cave and they basically, I have this part out of James Mooney, his writings. Um, He had lived with the Cherokee Indian for some time. 
Um, but he says, quote, the hunters built fires around the holes so that smoke filled the cave and smothered the great insect and multitudes of the smaller ones. But others which were outside of the cave were not killed and these escaped and increased until the yellow jackets, which before were unknown, are all over the world. Yes. And this original cave has a name. <laughs> I'm not going to pronounce the name of that cave. Right. <laughs> I can spell it. It's T-S-G-A-G-U-N apostrophe Y-I. And this translates to literally where the yellow jacket was. And then the place which they first saw the nest from is called A-T-A-H-I apostrophe T-A. And it is translated to where they shouted. This is basically the idea of where yellow jackets came from. I guess. And I think this cave is a real cave. It's found in the Nantahala Gorge in North Carolina. But I, I yep. like this story because it's kind of a creation myth of an indigenous mm -hmm. culture of how yellow jackets were created and spread upon the earth. Yeah, I thought that was really neat too. I mean, I had never heard of this story before or this idea, which I mean, yeah, but... Um, I thought it was kind of neat. I Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And I found it very interesting how two different tribes have kind of a similar story and both are mm -hmm. creation myths, but related to two different insects. Uh, we'll get into that, but it's very interesting to me just this comparative folklore aspect of uh, various different people who uh, live in the same landmass or or you know, location, have very similar myths, but then you can also trace that back to uh, different parts of the world where you can see the similarities and myths between different cultures pop up. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this one was interesting because it, the story is basically so similar, um, and yet it's not, like you said, it's not the same Yes. insect. Yeah. Even though it's almost the same exact story. So I don't know. I, we can go into that after you tell that other story because I have yeah. I, I have something to point out that's very interesting. Sure. So the story that we are talking about that's very similar to the one about the Ulagu is by the Tuscarora. Um, the they are sorry I spelled something wrong and that really threw me off right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Tuscarora tribe, also an indigenous uh, tribe that occupied i think they settled north carolina around 500 ce yes that's what i have so they were originally from the great lakes region or what i read you know present day new york area and then they migrated until they were settled in north carolina and they stayed until the 1700s ish tuscarora chief Elias Johnson chronicled his tribe's history and lore in the 1800s, and he wrote of a mosquito as large as a man that they called Roteo. In his book, Legends, Traditions, and Laws of the Iroquois, or Six Nations in History of the uh, Tuscarora Indians, it is stated, quote, it flew about with vast wings, making a loud noise with a long stinger, and on whomsoever it lighted, lightened lighted it sucked out all the blood and killed him many warrior warriors were destroyed in this way and all attempts to subdue it were in vain eventually it is said that they were able to pierce the creature's heart with an arrow which spawned the numerous small mosquitoes that inhabit the world today so it basically instead of one giant mosquito it became you know millions of smaller mosquitoes again a creation myth on how uh, insects came to be mm -hmm. or a, a group of insects in this case mosquitoes not yellow jackets but also i find it very interesting like the defeat of this giant monster that can kind of be perceived as a titan uh you kill it and then it just breaks apart into millions of smaller <laughs> versions of itself. So what's more terrifying? Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure which is worse, the giant one or the millions of tiny ones. Yes. So, uh, you know, also a creation myth, but uh, like th that's the parallel with the Ulagu myth of the Cherokee. But what I find interesting is how the Cherokee killed Ulagu is with their wits. 
you know, not with warfare, um, not with combat. They yes. uh, they generated a lot of smoke and then smothered the monster in a cave. Yeah. But how the Tuscarora killed the Roteo is through combat, uh, an right. arrow piercing the heart of the beast. So I find it interesting how this is a very similar creation myth about how insects came to be but from two different tribes that take two different approaches to the creation myth. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I do remember like when I was reading about the story where they basically like smoked the yellow jacket, I was like, Oh yeah. Like people do that now. Yeah. Cause it, it makes them fall asleep or, you know, whatever you like put smoke in them. Um, but yeah, I guess I didn't even think about the differences. That's interesting that you pointed out. It's like two different perspectives that they had killing the same type of monster. Yes. Other stories came out in the 1800s about similar encounters. So this is where we get into the um, Aversboro, Aversboro galley nipper. <laughs> so the port town of Aversboro was a one. If I just say it different each time, I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> also, like I told a few of my friends, oh, I'm going to be on a podcast what are you guys talking about? The Averasboro Galley Nipper? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's fine. I've pronounced so many things wrong at this point that, you know, can't, can't really hurt my feelings, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> so the port, the port town of Averasboro was once, was a once thriving terminus during the 19th century. And then uh, supposedly, in 1865, there was a battle between Confederate and Union soldiers, which would eventually scatter the inhabitants of the town, leaving only a cemetery and a Civil War museum as a reminder that the port town even existed. So it really didn't come back. It wasn't huge to begin with, and then it didn't really come back after that. Yeah. According to Monster of North Carolina by John Hare, Har. The town records during the 1850s showed that there were like 14 buildings and like 13 of them were taverns. And at one of these so-called taverns, there was a skeleton of what looked like what they assumed was a large flying animal, some type of swan, I believe, suspended from the ceiling. However, instead of a beak, it had a piece of tapered bone in you know, on its face. And then there was a sign that was hung on it that read Averisboro galley nipper. Yeah. So this is where the idea comes from. It is said that the Averisboro galley nipper was as large as a hawk with a stinger on its head that could slice through a man's arm. This giant mosquito could drain all of the blood from a man in a single gulp, obviously resulting in death. So <laughs> I also find it interesting how we think it's a giant mosquito because of uh, the story we're going to go into and because of these native right. myths. But who knows, maybe this was marketed at first as just some weird birds. That's true. Well, you know what I thought of, too? My sister and I did an episode on, oh, my goodness, what were they called? Wapple, wapple tinger, wapple tinger. Uh -huh, tinger. Yeah. And those are basically like a mishmash of, you know, various animals. So it reminded me a lot of that because I was like, oh, it's just, you know, a, a bird's body with a insect's beak. And what else could it have been <laughs> like? Yes, yes. And everybody has their own version of what it is. So the Wolpertinger is more like an idea or a concept, not necessarily a full fledged uh, creature with a certain right. look yeah like if you look up pictures it's like a fox with bird wings and deer antlers but it also could be a rabbit with hawk wings so i thought that was very interesting and i was like oh it could also just be that instead of a giant mosquito but <laughs> well it's funny that you mentioned the wolpertinger because in america there is the jackalope which is mm -hmm. one of the most popular would it be a fearsome critter? I don't know. Because fearsome, <laughs> yeah, critters, are, sure. <laughs> fearsome critters are much older. They're from lumberjack uh, tall tales. But uh, the Averasboro or Averasboro Gallinepper, I think, could maybe be classified as a fearsome critter. 
because it started off in lumberjack lore from over a century ago. Yeah. If if this story is true, which <laughs> I have questions, but we can get into it after this. I mean, story. like all fearsome critters. <laughs> right, that's true. So the the most well-known encounter with this galley nipper involved a man named Red Saunders. So he was uh, the lead of a lumber crew from Chatham County. And then one day in 1855, they his crew went to work with a crew that was from and they were near Aversboro. So Saunders thought himself the strongest and toughest man in the world. And he wasn't afraid to let the others know. Well, you know, the men from Aversboro grew tired of him bragging about this. So they challenged him to strip off his shirt and let the mosquitoes bite him for a full hour, which he agreed to. So he took his shirt off, he laid face down on the ground, and they basically just watched him as he sat there for 45 minutes um, as mosquitoes swarmed around and bit his back. Until he he suddenly felt an intense searing pain as an onlooker shouted, Galley nipper! (laughs) In fear, he jumped up and ran into the water where he stayed until he was sure there wasn't anything on him anymore. Now, the onlookers told Saunders that it was a mosquito the size of an eagle that had landed on him. And Saunders, you know, being himself, took this in stride and told anyone who would listen that he was the only man tough enough to survive a galley nipper attack. But uh, what actually happened, I don't know if you found this, the two men who were challenging him to this actually threw a a piece of hot coal on his back. (laughs) Um, Which they, I think, made the situation worse for themselves because now he just thinks he has something to brag about. Oh, yeah. And I also question whether they told him, oh, it's a gent mosquito, like they shouted galley nipper and everybody knows that the galley nipper from this suspended skeleton in the tavern is some kind of weird bird with a needle like beak. Right. Uh, So maybe the myth back then in 1855, when this was happening was, Oh, that's just some weird bird. But this guy due to being challenged to uh, let mosquitoes, you know, bite him and whatnot and surviving this ordeal, maybe because he's a guy who likes to boast a lot he's thinking well it's not a very cool story if i tell everybody i survived just some weird bird but what if it's a giant <laughs> mosquito you know yeah a giant bird attack that's funny you know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about really but they said it was the size of an eagle and at the zoo there we have an eagle at our zoo and she can't she cannot fly due to an injury uh-huh. but we have two like wild bald eagles that are like flying and nesting somewhere near her and we can't really figure out why but they are big and i kind of forget how big they are because i just deal with her and she can't really fly but the ones that have been flying around that you know are capable of it and have more muscle than her and are probably males are huge so I think it would be impressive if he was like, oh, man, I got attacked by a bald eagle, but also maybe a little embarrassing. And so, like you said, him saying it was a giant mosquito might be a little more impressive. Yes. And that's how these tall tales are formed. Like maybe just somebody made this fake taxidermy hoax as a joke put it up in yeah. the tavern, named it the galley nipper because the galley nipper is something used for something that bites you, not necessarily yeah. a mosquito. And then this guy, you know, going through this ordeal and then boasting and creating a story that sounds much more uh, amusing and, and courageous and whatnot. I don't know. that It's interesting how adding more layers to this story kind of forms this, what we now perceive as a monster, a giant mosquito, and are talking about Right. Even though it was probably just a hot coal, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of mean. Also, this does kind of remind me, we were talking about the bugs I work with at the zoo. And then this, it kind of reminds me of the show uh, Fear Factor. Have you ever seen it? Yes. Um, It kind of reminds me of that, like them being like, just take off your shirt and lay there and let, you know, mosquitoes bite you. 
And the reason I'm okay with some of the bugs at the zoo, like we have to take care of like tubs full of crickets, like to feed some of the animals. And a lot of people don't like it because they're just, there's so many of them. And I was like, this is my training for when I am on fear factor (laughs) and I have to lay in like a tub of crickets or worms or what have you. I was like, I'm going to win a million dollars because I'm going to be able to do it. So <laughs> it's funny that you say that I watched an episode of fear factor where it's always the, the second challenge that's related to gross stuff or animals. Yeah. <laughs> so the second challenge in this episode was like, they were doing some kind of roulette that would uh, give them the number of what kind of organ of a pig or a cow to eat. And there's like the brain, the tongue, the kidney, the liver, whatnot. And I'm, I'm a European, so I'm like, um, how is this gross? This is stuff that we eat all the time. (laughs) You're like, put me on the show. I would win in no time. Yes. And like most of that stuff I already ate in my life. So even a testicle, I ate a goat's testicle once. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I see, I think I do. Okay. I've never had any of that stuff, but I do think that I could, I don't think it would gross me out that much. But I also feel like to get onto that show, you have to go through some sort of vetting process, right? And so if you come up there and you're like, I'm literally not afraid of anything, uh-huh. then they're just not going to let you on the show. Huh, you're just going to be like, that's not the point of the show. Well, so. maybe if somebody's boasting, I'm not afraid of anything, they're like, oh, yeah, th- this guy has a fake persona that we should totally shatter. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's true. It's it'd be sweeter to watch him fall if he's bragging. I, that's probably what they thought with the red with this guy, the Saunders guy, and then it backfired on him. Yeah. So that is basically all that I found on the story, specifically of the as. I, I can't. I gotta look at it when I try to pronounce it. The Aversboro galley nipper. <laughs> I think Avers- I'm getting worse. Aversboro. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's basically the only story that surrounded it. Besides what I saw, it it says that people were like legitimately uh, like afraid, like lumber crews, like some lumber crews were actually nervous that this was a real entity that could attack them as they are doing their lumber work. But this is the only story that I found that specifically names a person that was potentially attacked. Yes. Yes. By by a hot coal. Yeah, by a hot coal, which is kind of scary, I guess. Now, and it's a, I have a question for you. So do you sure. think that an insect can grow to be as large as a bird? So I have done a little bit of research. Ah, oh, man. Just I a little I was bit. Special. <laughs> well, because I knew you were coming on, um, but you can definitely you will probably know way more about me, but from what I have found in theory, yes, they could, but probably not in today's atmosphere. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So what I was getting at, this is something that I suggested to you, like why I wanted to talk about the Gallinepper is because the, the whole concept of it is giant insect. Wow. Terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> and then we tell the story and ha ha ha, it's a tall tale. Who cares? But <laughs> long, long ago, there actually were giant insects roaming on Earth. So during the Carboniferous period, which was around uh, 359 to 298 million years ago, uh, there were very, very gigantic bugs roaming the Earth. And this is the period, the Carboniferous, it's named because of coal. This is when uh, all, all of the coal we have was formed. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's a time in Earth's period when there was a huge surplus of oxygen in the atmosphere. It is suggested that the oxygen content was as high as 35%, yet today it is 21%. Right. So... In- Oh, go ahead. So in the surplus of oxygen, like, and, and the warm atm- atmosphere, most of the earth or 
you know, terrestrial ecosystems were uh, swampy or rainforests, you know, and mm -hmm. there was a whole buildup of plant material just falling in piles one on top of each other because uh, microorganisms were, were not at that time evolved enough to break down plant material but also all of this plant material was just building up so rapidly that you can't have it decay uh, fast mm -hmm. enough. So that's why all the coal was formed back then as a compression of all this plant material. And from what I researched, this benefits bugs because of the way they breathe. Everything I'm saying is with a question mark from here on out. Because... Yes. So... <laughs> Back then, we had the largest uh, insects and arthropods in general that we ever had on Earth. So the largest terrestrial arthropod or bug that ever existed on Earth that we know of was Arthropleura, which was an 8.5-foot-long millipede. So imagine that. <laughs> Larger than a human or a car. That's like, uh, like I mean, alligators now are terrifying, but I think if I saw a millipede the size of an alligator, that would probably be more scary to me. Well, so. actually, this millipede was a plant eater. It was, it was not hunting down anything. I did a whole episode on Arthropleura for my prior show, Darwin's Deviations, which is why I wanted to go into the Carboniferous period because I researched quite a lot uh, about insect gigantism for that episode. Now, right. Though Arthropleura is a millipede and millipedes are not insects, uh, there was the largest uh, flying insect that ever existed on Earth, also in this period, which was Meganora, which was a dragonfly-like insect with a wingspan of 30 inches. Yeah. So these... So these, you know creatures lived back then because they the way the earth was so my question i guess is mm -hmm. our atmosphere is not like that obviously but in like the swampy areas of north carolina could they in theory get a little bit bigger than normal you see I w would not be certain of that because with today's swamps, there is not a surplus of oxygen, but rather of uh, carbon dioxide. Carbon okay. dioxide emissions from swamps are much larger than in other ecosystems. Now, uh, though the prevailing theory of why insects were so gigantic in the Carboniferous is or has been for a long time, this you know surplus of oxygen in the atmosphere, uh, allowing them to grow bigger. Uh, in recent years, there have been studies of another factor that went into it. It's also oxygen-related, but something we oftentimes forget is that oxygen is toxic. Oxygen is something that we can't live without, but is also the reason that we are aging and dying. <laughs> so, you, you know, in biology, there is something called oxidative stress. Oxygen mm -hmm. uh, causes free radicals to form in cells, which damage cells. And uh, we have to have all of these mechanisms inside our cells that will clear away these free radicals that are the byproduct of breathing. Now, it, it has been theorized in the last decade or so that maybe these insects back then were giant because their larvae needed to grow to giant proportions so they can take less oxygen inside their bodies because the smaller the larva is the greater surface area to the volume of its body it has to absorb oxygen and because there was more oxygen it, it was more toxic for them so to combat this toxicity they would grow to large proportions where now they have much less of a surface area compared to the volume of their bodies. So that means much less oxygen is being uh, absorbed through their bodies. And right. when they became adults now as giant insects, they can then utilize the surplus of oxygen that already exists to grow to even bigger proportions. So it's a very nuanced, complicated system. Like right. 
you need to grow to giant proportions in order to combat the toxicity of oxygen. But once you grow to giant proportions, then you can utilize the, the surplus of oxygen for your own benefit. Right. It's like you have to work against it and then work with it and yes. then it'll all be fine. Yes. And I, that's why I love like uh, biology, ecology, evolution. Like there is no single explanation for anything. Everything is very nuanced and is very complicated and dynamic and is interconnected. Right. I also read a little bit that, that it, they could, bugs have could have, could have gotten smaller as um, their predators got bigger. Is that true as well? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it was theorized that the reason bugs were big back then was due to these uh, predatory uh, behaviors of other animals. So maybe they yeah. grew large to combat predatory behavior. But then again, it also goes with this oxygen stress and also right. utilizing oxygen for your own benefit. So there are many factors that go into play. Right, right. But so what you're saying is the galley nipper, this, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it? Let me find it again. Aversboro. Aversboro <laughs> galley nipper probably wasn't real. Probably was a hot coal. <laughs> I mean, okay, is... think of it like this. If there is a whole population of giant mosquitoes, let's say not the size of a human as the native legends say, but okay, the size of a hawk. Right. I mean, that, that would be the largest insect species on earth. Then We probably would have found them by now. <laughs> sure. But let's say we did not find it, but it exists. Um, right. Uh, we know that mosquitoes feed off of plant juices, not off of blood. So yep. where would they find so much plant juice, you know, to feed off of, to support oh, a true. whole population? Probably not North Carolina. <laughs> Yes, and like flowers are tiny. You can't have a hawk-sized thing right. to feed Landing off of nectar from flowers. Right, right. You know, I said at the beginning, I don't know if this was when in a recording or not, but like I think it's very fun to think that these creatures could exist, these cryptids could exist, um, and kind of ignore the scientific side of it. But this one, I am happy to uh, listen to you explain why insects have to be small because I don't necessarily want giant mosquitoes flying around because I would probably cry and never go outside if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is theorized that when the oxygen levels dropped, these giant insects went extinct because uh, now they cannot take enough oxygen to support their ginormous bodies because... Right. They can't actively breathe in, breathe out like us. They don't have a diaphragm. They have a tracheal system that kind of uh, 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 sends oxygen to the inner gooey bits of their bodies. You know, they don't have a circulatory system like us. So right. it's all about like how much surface area do you have to absorb oxygen? If you have uh, a huge volume of your body and not enough surface area and not enough oxygen, then they'll die out. Right, right. You're not, there's not enough oxygen to support such a big system in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So I, uh, out of all of this, so we basically are debunking the whole thing, which I find very fascinating now because this story is fairly well known. Um, I mean, it's when you Google cryptids, it comes up, you know what I mean? So it's fascinating to me that we have now three, three separate stories in their own sense, you know, the Cherokee and the Tuscarora, and then, you know, this guy, the red guy about mm -hmm. giant insects. Um, and so it is very interesting to me that they, it, they're probably not real, but the story's there. So it is interesting to me that that story is still there and, you know, fairly well known. Um, yeah. And also, like, how do we use these stories now? When you go to these articles about the Aversboro Galley Nepper, they will always reference 
uh, at least the the uh, what what is their name the Tuscarora tribes um, right. story of the Roteo. But the thing is, like, I, I think the Roteo is a completely separate thing from the Aversboro Galley Nipper, which started off as just a fake taxidermy and then as a tall tale from a lumberjack. But right. the way cryptid guys are, <laughs> they search uh, native cultures for these stories that kind of have similarities so they can say, oh, these people were talking about that much earlier, so surely it exists. Um, right. It's it's a different thing. It's also a creation myth. It's also tied to the animistic beliefs of the uh, indigenous people and their ties to nature and their stories of how these uh, natural occurrences originated. So it's right. it's, it's not the same as a tall tale from the 1800s by lumberjacks. <laughs> right, it's, right. It's a part right. of religion, I want to say, and we we need to be very respectful of that. As you said previously in an episode about the skinwalkers we, we should yeah, make distinctions there yeah i think um these stories are very interesting to read about but like you said it's like the creation you know myth or story is very different than two guys pulling a prank on their buddy <laughs> <laughs> like it is not the same thing in any sense at all so do you think that the story um, of the, well, I guess specifically the uh, Aversboro galley nipper will keep you up at night, or do you think you'll still be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug? Well, uh, if we're talking about this story, I'll be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug. Right. But if <laughs> we're talking easy. about mosquitoes, then certainly not. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do have... Um, not necessarily nightmares, but like anxious dreams, I guess. Um, nine times out of ten, they're about uh, insects coming to eat me. Is that strange? Do I have a problem, do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't think you have a problem. I actually recently had somebody message me how they have dreams of being eaten by bugs or bugs crawling on them. And I know that it's a very prevalent uh, uh, fear. Yeah. I don't know if, if you watched uh, the X-Files. I've seen some, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. say I've seen everything. There, there is an episode called War of the Coprophages, which is about in season three about a whole town going into mass hysteria over cockroaches. Uh, but <laughs> the thing is, everybody is dying from different things, but assuming that it's related to cockroaches. And there is, I think, the opening scene or something like these kids who were creating some kind of meth or something in a lab, uh, getting high and then imagining yeah. that bugs were crawling under, under their skin. Oh gosh, that's yeah. terrifying. And that plays uh, on, uh, a f I can't remember now the details, but there is a phobia of, of bugs crawling under your skin or having these sensations. It's, it's a hallucination. I, yes. I just saw, this is wild. I just watched a clip from criminal minds on TikTok that is a wild sentence for me to say, but, and it was about a person who had that exact thing. Um, yes. He thought that he had like bugs inside of him. And yet it was this, um, well, is it a mental thing or some type of, you know, mental health crisis or, you know, disease. I'm not sure what they decided it was, but he basically had the feeling of things crawling on him like all the time. Yeah. And I think that would be one of the worst things to have to go through. Ever. Yes. Yes. And like, I mean, this is a bit off topic. I spoke with somebody who has diagnosed schizophrenia who has these sensory hallucinations, but she, her hallucination was, smelling that she's burning like that her flesh is burning so oh, that's terrible yeah it can be very varied and like it is a mental health issue and it needs to be acknowledged and worked with with a right. therapist yeah oh that's terrible um, not saying that you have it <laughs> thankfully no, no, yeah <laughs> thankfully your, your hallucinations in, oh. are in your dreams yeah i was like i don't have that i can't imagine because that that to me would be one of the most terrible things yeah. um i the the anxious dreams of having bugs is enough for me um i think 
maybe working at a zoo has helped that in a sense because so many animals eat bugs. Um, I have learned that if you keep chickens around you, you pretty much don't have to worry about bugs at all because they will eat everything in sight. I don't have full blown fear of insects, but it's, it's there. It's there for sure. So Is that maybe why you did not cover insects by, by now on your show? It could, you know what? It could be now that you mentioned that. I think that uh, that definitely could be it because researching uh, different bugs and different things like that, it does give me like, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm anxious about it, but it gives me like the willies, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because when I had you on my show, I my original plan for you on my show was let's talk about suicide-inducing parasites. And I'm yeah. thinking now it's maybe good that we did not cover that topic because you'd be totally freaked out. <laughs> Probably. Isn't there one, like if you go swimming or something, you could get a parasite that certain water, right? Is that? Yeah, I think there is in America uh, what's known as a brain-eating amoeba or something that you yeah. can get from swimming. Yep. But uh, and, w- in the insect world, like there is something called a fly, uh, a be- fly beheading in wasp or insects or something. So the uh-huh. larva causes uh, an an ant. Oh yeah, it's an ant beheading fly. Sorry, the larva of the fly is uh, hashed inside the head of an ant, and then takes control of the ant's body and causes it. <laughs> Causes it to constantly run and run and run until the ant's head falls off. Oh my god! My yes, god. and then the head of the ant is used as an incubator for the larva to turn into an adult fly. Oh my god, that's fascinating, though. Yeah, I just I think, like I said, I'm okay with insects as long as I know where they are and they're not like inside of my body. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as that. Well, as long as nothing gets into my brain. Well, I mean, you are a cat lover, and probably you heard of Toxoplasma gondii. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, we have to watch out for that at the zoo as well, because, like, all of our species of cats could technically be carriers of it, even if they don't get sick from it. So, yeah, that's a big precaution one that we have to... Um, like certain animals we have to wear like protective boots with if we're going to go in with them so we don't carry that to other animals or you know things like that so yeah yeah i try not to think about it that much i guess <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh, uh, allegedly i think a third of or two-thirds of the planet are infected with toxoplasmosis oh really i didn't yeah. know that yeah, and in mice, it causes the mice to be attracted to to cats. But there are <laughs> studies to suggest that maybe the reason people love cats is because of this parasite. Oh, that we have it, and so we love cats? Yes, because, I mean, because it is a behavior-altering parasite. You know what? I'm okay with that then, because <laughs> I don't... I, if that's the case, I don't want it taken out, because I love my cat, and I... <laughs> Don't know what I would do without her, I guess. Well, thank you for coming on and doing this episode with me. We should do it again. Do you do, have you done, do you do New Year's resolutions? Have you thought about it yet? This is a new episode, new year podcast episode. Oh, man. You know, I never was a person who liked to celebrate the New Year because I'm one of those people who had a lot of traumas related to New Year. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, so I I like just, I don't perceive time in that way. I don't know. I just live in the present always. I have sense. I have like theories that the past does not exist and all of that. You listeners, if you're interested in my wacky philosophies, just check out my show. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, my Jack likes to joke all the time that he's like, "Time isn't real because we're just in a simulation, Caitlin. Like we're <laughs> we're in a computer well, program." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> what I believe is that only the present exists, and what we perceive as the past is just a mythology of the past. Like the less physical uh, uh, connections we have with the past, the more it becomes a mythology and a folklore that propels us into the future. Interesting. Well, 
listeners, if you want to know more, like he said, go check out the podcast Tracing Owls. That's you're still doing the same under the same yes. name, correct? Yes. Okay. Just making sure that you haven't, I know you're doing a lot of new stuff, so I wanted to make sure I'm not missing it. Um, so definitely check that out. It's a good podcast. It's very entertaining. It's very, for me, educational, I feel like. Um, yes, it's, But I, I see it as a paranormal podcast, but covering the paranormal in ways that nobody expects or can hear on other shows. Right. Exactly. So if you want a different perspective, go there. I highly recommend it. Um, if you would like to look up um, any resources on the story that we specifically talked about, I'll be putting it on our website, my website, I guess, the podcast website, um, bugandrug.podbean.com. You can check out pictures. I'll put some on Facebook, which is just Bug and Rug. And then Twitter and Instagram is just BIA or podcast. If you have any suggestions for the new year, you can email me, BIA or podcast at gmail.com, I think. You can get a hold of me on any of the social medias. If anybody wants to be a guest, please let me know. Because if not, I'm just going to have the same four people over and over again. <laughs> I don't know. If we're making a very entertaining content, we can certainly do this again. Yes. I was going to say, I'm going to, let's, I'm going to, I already told Carly that I'm going to have her on again. If you don't mind, we can, we can do another episode. I'll try to find more bug related content. Um <laughs> Well, if it's interesting to people, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we can do animal attacks, anything, like even paranormal. I just don't do true yeah. crime, which is very funny because the first time we uh, kind of collaborated is because I suggested to you to cover the, was it Robert Beckowitz case? Yes. And you know what's crazy? We don't, honestly, I haven't done... We don't do true crime very often. I don't do true crime very often because they're not obviously fun stories. <laughs> but that one in particular, I looked the other day. It is one of my most, I think, downloaded episodes. Yes. Which yes. was, I, I wonder if it's because not a lot of people have covered it, but I'm not sure. I mean, I had never heard of it, but I also only listened to the same four <laughs> podcasts. So like, so I don't know. Before I started doing my own podcasts, I'm like, I want to hear podcasts about certain topics nobody covers. So, you mm -hmm. know, I send you a message. Hey, cover this case nobody talks about. Maybe that's why it has most views because nobody really covered that case. Whenever right. somebody searches it, they'll get to your podcast. Mine. Yeah. Which is good. So I, I have to thank you for all, the, <laughs> all of the downloads and listens. Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. No problem. Um, so signing off, I'm Caitlin with my guest. Vuk from Tracing Owls. Uh, bye. Bye-bye.